This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome back to the Der Show. Um, as the conflict between um, Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad and Iran um, continues, I get lots and lots of letters saying, how did this all begin? What is the history of this? Uh, what's the history of, of Israel? You know, I was asked the same question years and years and years ago, and I wrote a book about it 20 years ago. It became a, a, a national bestseller and a bestseller on college campuses. I don't know if it'd be a bestseller today. It was called The Case for Israel, and it was a you know book about the origins and went through everything, maps and and you know I'm not going to bore you with maps and show you you know everything that happened. What I'm going to give you today is a kind of brief overview. But I challenge any of you to come up with uh, any errors, historical errors. Um, <clears throat> so. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the book of Genesis says, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's interesting because the great first commentator on the Bible, a man named Rashi, um, the first word in the Bible, basically in the beginning, um, uh, Rashi asked the question, why does the Bible start with a story about creation? It's a law book. Why doesn't it start with the first legal obligation, the first mitzvah, which doesn't appear uh, until much later in the, in the Torah, in the, in the, in the Bible. And, and Rashi gives an answer. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's writing a thousand years ago, and he says, there will come a time when the people of the world will doubt the right of the Jewish people to Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. Um, uh, and I want the world to know uh, that uh, God created the world, and God decided who gets what land, and that he gave to the Jewish people the land of Israel. Well, I don't base my case for Israel on the Bible or on religion, but it goes back that far. And Jews lived in, in what is uh, now Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, since the day Abraham was commanded by God to move from a distant land to what would now be Hebron on the West Bank, uh, but to what is now called, uh, called Palestine. Jews lived there until they were exiled by the Romans after uh, fighting a war. This was at about the time of Jesus. As we all know, Jesus was born a Jew and uh, was raised a Jew and um, believed that he was enforcing the rules of the of the Torah and not, not changing them, but obviously Christianity changed a great deal of what Judaism was about. But uh, I'll never forget Bill Clinton, name-dropping story, Bill Clinton telling me about his meeting with Yasser Arafat, in which Yasser Arafat said to him, oh, the Jews never had a temple in Jerusalem, 
the Jews never lived in what is now Palestine. They are Khazars. They lived in Eastern Europe. And, and Bill Clinton cut him off and said, Yasser, you're questioning my religion. If there were no Jews and there was no temple in Jerusalem, where did Jesus throw out the moneylenders? Where was he crucified? You're telling me that Christianity is a fraud. If you ever say that again, I'm getting up and leaving. I will not have my religion insulted that way. He insulted Christianity uh, as he insulted Judaism. Of course, archaeologists have proved without any doubt. I've been there. I've seen the excavations. I have remnants of it, um, uh, of, of uh, evidence of Jewish culture and life through the time of King David and King Solomon and you name it. Uh, up until the time they were exiled, about 70 years after the birth of Jesus. And then for the next many years, um, Jews lived in that area. The area's name was changed in order to de-Judaize it, to make it less Jewish. The Romans changed it to Palestina, um, presumably based after the Philistines, but the Philistine. Uh, ethnicity had by that time uh, disappeared. But nonetheless, it was called Palestine. But even when it was called Palestine, remember it was called Palestine before Muhammad was ever born, so there's no such thing as a Muslim. Um, Jews lived in, in what was then Palestine, um, you know, in the 11th, in the 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, 5th century, 6th century, Jesus, you know, after Jesus and then Muhammad is born, and Islam um, sometimes called uh, Mohammedanism or the Muslim faith, uh, gets born. But Jews still remain there. Uh, it's not clear whether there was ever a, a time when Jerusalem didn't have a Jewish majority. And first time they took a census in 1840, Jews had a pretty overwhelming majority, many more than, than uh, Muslims and Christians. Jews also were very, very substantial uh, parts of Safat, which is a, a great Jewish area of mysticism in the, uh, the north center of Israel, in Hebron, Hebron, which is where the uh, Abraham and his wife and Isaac are all buried, uh, the most probably important biblical part. And, and of course, Tel Aviv is a Jewish city. Uh, it was built uh, as an adjoining city to the biblical city of Jaffa, where Jonah set sail, according to the book of, of, uh, of, of Jonah. So Jews have lived there forever. But then, in the 19th century, a guy named, you may have heard of his name, Theodor Herzl, a journalist in Vienna, totally assimilated Jew, had never been really in a synagogue. I don't think he was bar mitzvah or anything of that kind. Um, he was a secular journalist. And he was assigned to the trial of uh, Dreyfus, uh, the, the, the Jewish army officer in the French army who was framed, framed for uh, spying for Austria, Germany, um, and was convicted and sentenced to Devil's Island. And uh, ultimately it was proved by Emile Zola that it was a frame up. Um, why is that important? Because Herzl was the journalist who covered the trial. And Theodor Herzl saw that the French were yelling, burn the Jews, gas the Jews, treat them as termites, treat them as insects. And he went home to his family and his friends and he said, there's no future 
for Jews in France. And I'm not sure there's a future for Jews in Vienna where he lived. He was a neighbor of Sigmund Freud um, and, and Gustav Mahler, uh, the great, great period of time of, of, of Jewish um, uh, contributions in Vienna. But he wasn't sure there was a future. So he helped to found what was called political Zionism. And he wrote a book. Um, I have uh, one of only 200 remaining copies of the book. Um, um, and uh, the book is called um, Das Judenstaat, The Jewish State. Um, this is the original copy of the book in Hebrew, uh, which was published in 1896. Um, and um, it was a little pamphlet, just a little pamphlet, soft cover, little pamphlet. But it made its way around the world and uh, Jews all over the world read this book and said to themselves, oh my God, we may be better off if we go to this land, faraway land called, called Palestine. And, and political Zionism began, and some of the great advocates of political Zionism were uh, Louis Brandeis, Justice of the United States Supreme Court, Felix Frankfurter, Justice of the United States Supreme Court, and then the World War, and, and Herzl met with the head of Turkey, the head of Germany, uh, nobles, and tried to get them all to give the Jews a homeland in this area that was uh, quite barren. It had Jews living in Svat, it had Arabs living in various places, but Mark Twain had written about it. Uh, 20 years earlier and saying it's a barren land, foxes and, and wolves run all over, but you hardly ever see any people except in a, few, in a few cities. And then what happened is Jews began to move to Palestine in, in, in considerable numbers. Um, uh, they called themselves Zionists, the, the Hebrew word for Jerusalem, which Jews prayed to return to for 2,000 years, is Zion, 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 and indeed Zion is a concept in Christianity too. There are Zion churches. Um, um, so Zionism uh, was born and, and Jews uh, began to move. When Jews began to move to Palestine and build um, what later became Kibbutzim and Moshavim and areas, they began to cultivate wine and oranges they attracted workers from all over, from Egypt, from what is now Jordan, Jordan didn't exist, um, from um, Lebanon, from Syria. And so a lot of the people who now call themselves Palestinians are actually people who came to Palestine from Egypt and from Syria and Lebanon and uh, Jordan. Some were there indigenously, some were there for a long time, as were some as with some Jews, um, they were getting along okay for a while. What happened then in the second, First World War, there was a great scientist named Chaim Weizmann who invented uh, an explosive that helped the British win the First World War. And uh, he became close to the prime minister and the foreign minister, Balfour, and uh, he and others, and followers of Herzl, who had died at a very young age of 40-something, um, persuaded them to issue what's called the Balfour Declaration, in which 
a statement was made, Her Majesty, or His Majesty, I forget, uh, government views with favor the creation of a Jewish homeland in Palestinian without diminishing the rights of any of the other citizens. And that became British policy. But then the Brits made a terrible mistake. They appointed as the head of the religious Muslim authority a man named Husseini, who saw this as a religious war, not a war about territory. And so he began to order the slaughter of Jews. In 1929, the first pogrom occurred. Uh, Jews in Hebron and, and other places, Jews who were praying at the Western Wall, were slaughtered, were murdered. And then the British put limits on the amount of Jews that could come in, and that caused the death of a great many Jews in, obviously, Nazi Germany, who otherwise could have been saved by coming to to Palestine. Um, Husseini, the same Husseini, was a Nazi. Um, he went to Berlin to join up with Hitler during the Second World War. They made him in charge of a brigade of Nazis that murdered people, um, civilians, and he was declared a war criminal at the end of the Second World War and had to escape to Egypt to avoid persecution at the Nuremberg and other, and other trials. He became the head the Palestinian people. But even before that, 1937-38, uh, as a result of the mass killings by Husseini of, of Jews um, in Israel, the British appointed a royal commission called the Peel Commission. I have an original copy of the Peel Commission report um, in which they proposed um, a two-state solution, the first of the two-state solutions. They said, look, Balfour Declaration, Jews have a claim to a homeland, Arabs have a claim to a homeland. Nobody used the word Palestinians because there was no such thing. Nobody had ever referred to themselves as Palestinians. They were just Arabs. Um, and so they proposed a two-state solution. The Jews accepted it, as you'll see in many years to come, the Arabs rejected it. So it was rejected. Then in 1948, the UN considered the issue, 1947 actually, and here is the headline. Um, the United Nations approved the partition of Palestine uh, by a two-thirds vote, 33 to 13, with 10 abstentions in 1947, giving to what would become Israel a tiny sliver of land along the Mediterranean Sea, and not even Jerusalem. They would have Tel Aviv, they would have Haifa, which was a mixed city. Tel Aviv was an almost all-Jewish city except for the Jaffa part of it, which was an all-Arab city. Um, and um, again, the Jews accepted it and the Palestinians rejected it. And so then in 1948, shortly thereafter, the um, uh, Israel announced, established, like the Americans did, uh, created a Declaration of Independence. This is an original copy of it. Created a Declaration of Independence and... Um, um, and, and de declared itself to be an independent nation state of the Jewish people, Israel. Immediately, all the surrounding Arabs uh, attacked it to engage in a genocidal war. Everybody expected the Arabs would uh, win. The United States, although they recognized Israel, Truman was the first to recognize Israel, believe it or not, the second country to recognize Israel, the Soviet Union, Stalin, because he thought that the that Israel would become a socialist democracy closer to the Soviet Union than to uh, American values. He was wrong, it did start out. 
as a socialist democracy, but it uh, always remained close to the United States. So all the Arab armies collectively attacked, and one percent of the Israeli population was killed. Uh, there were uh, people, and, 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 and many of them were massacred after they, were, after they had surrendered. But Israel won the war and extended its land, captured land that was not allocated to it by the United Nations, but which were captured in a defensive war. And so Israel, every time the Arabs attacked it, Israel gained more land. Uh, now is bigger than the Arab part of the country, which is now essentially the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, so the 48 war is won. There's another small war in 1956 uh, where Israel and England and France, uh, because the Suez Canal was closed by Egypt, they get into a war with Egypt, inconclusive outcome. So we move to the two major wars, 1967, uh, Nasser decides he wants to destroy Israel. He says, we're going to have a genocidal war um, and we're going to kill every Jew who lives in Israel. The, the generals were ordered to kill the Jews. The Israelis saw it was coming and they preemptively attacked and dest destroyed the Egyptian Air Force, the Syrian Air Force on the ground. They won a decisive victory in the 1967 war called the Six-Day uh, War. And they also captured territory from Jordan. Jordan had attacked, de declared war. Israel didn't attack Jordan. Jordan attacked Israel, bombed downtown Jerusalem, and Israel captured the West Bank. In 67, Israel offered to give back the captured territories in exchange for recognition. I know, because I helped draft that resolution. I was a law clerk for Justice Arthur Goldberg, and it was Resolution 242 of the Security Council. He was then the U.S. representative of the Security Council, and in exchange for peace, Israel said it would give back territories captured during the war. The Israelis agreed to Resolution 242. All the Arab countries went to Khartoum and issued their three famous no's, no recognition, no negotiation, no peace. That's 1967. 1973 on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the war, the Egyptians and the Syrians attack Israel. Holiest day of the year. 1973, the Egyptians attack Israel and um, inflict tremendous damage and come awfully close to defeating Israel. Um, General Dayan famously said the, th the third temple is falling. There had been two previous temples in Israel. Israel didn't have a temple, but it meant the third government. But um, uh, Ariel Sharon, who was then a great general, managed to encircle the Egyptian army and cause the entire Egyptian army to uh, surrender and thus they won the 1973 war. Shortly thereafter, Egypt made peace, uh, a cold peace, but a peace with um, uh, Israel. Israel wanted to give the Gaza Strip to uh, Egypt because it didn't want to have any control over it. And uh, the Egyptians said, no, that would be a deal breaker. So Israel maintained control over the Gaza Strip until 2005 when General Sharon, then Prime Minister Sharon, completely abandoned the Gaza Strip. Every single Israeli settler, every single Israeli soldier left. Um, and for two years, there was relative peace. The Palestinian Authority was in charge of the executive, then they had an election, and Hamas won the legislative elections, and then they immediately pulled off a coup d'etat, even though they weren't supposed to be the executive, they murdered 
and kill, they murdered and, and exiled the Palestinian leadership and they took over. And once they took over, they start sending rockets to all the Israeli cities and towns uh, nearby. It was at that point, only at that point, that Israel said, we have to get control of the entrance and the exits. We have to make sure that Palestinian terrorists don't come into uh, Israel. People said, oh, no, the Palestinian terrorists would never come into Israel. Israel's so strong. You don't have to worry about that. Well, just see what happened. On uh, October 7th, um, you know, thousands of Palestinians poured into Israel and murdered um, as many as 1,500 Israelis and took another 200 of them as hostages. So the wars continued um, once Hamas took over Gaza. There were several uh, Hamas wars, and um, they ended inconclusively. Um, Israel usually defeated Hamas. Um, but with casualties on its own part. In the meantime, Lebanon, that had been a peaceful country um, with a divided government, usually when the executive would be Christian and the legislature would be Muslim or the opposite, but it was a divided country and a peaceful country and a beautiful country, obviously, until Hezbollah took over. And then Hezbollah took over just the way Hamas took over in Gaza, Hezbollah took over in Lebanon, they were both surrogates of Iran. Uh, the Iranians who in 1979 took over from the Shah and established themselves as um, uh, theocracy headed by mullahs who sought the destruction of Israel, uh, created essentially, um, funded uh, Hezbollah and Hamas and other terrorist organizations, Islamic Jihad, the purpose of whom, the only purpose, the explicit purpose, was to make um, what was now Israel Judenrein, get rid of all the Jews, no Jew should be allowed to live there. Uh, it should be a single Palestinian caliphate uh, headed by an imam, uh, the way Iran is with all decisions made under Sharia law. Obviously that's nothing, not something Israel could ever accept and Israel never would and never did uh, accept that. Um, and that culminated. Um, um, on, on October 7th, after thousands and thousands and thousands of rockets, hundreds of tunnels. I was in the tunnels uh, beneath uh, uh, Gaza, I actually walked through the tunnel into Gaza. I didn't come up in, in Gaza, obviously, but I went to the tunnel through the area and I was told by the guard, you're now in Gaza. Ah, but there I was uh, in the safety of the, of the tunnel. And uh, they used the tunnels to kidnap Israelis and to kill Israelis. And of course, on October 7th, they did the worst thing that has ever happened to the Jewish people since the Holocaust, uh, the slaughter of uh, so many, so many children, people. The irony, of course, is that the people who were slaughtered, most of them were peaceniks. Uh, they were people who were at a music concert, a peace concert. They were told to leave guns home because they didn't want to be belligerent um, and... and uh, uh, many of the kibbutzim and the moshavim that were attacked were people who were opposed to the current Netanyahu government and favored making peace and a two-state solution. But the um, uh, Gazans, uh, the Hamas people who came to kill them, didn't distinguish if you were a Jew and you lived in Israel, uh, you would be murdered, uh, you would be raped, you would be kidnapped. And so that's the that's the tragic story. It is. 
Could Israel have done anything different? You know, it offered peace. I haven't mentioned that, so let's go over that. It offered the Palestinians peace and a two-state solution, 1938, 1948, 1967, 1990 with the Oslo Accords, 2000-2001 with the Clinton-Barak uh, offers, 2005 with the evacuation of Gaza, 2007 with uh, uh, Prime Minister uh, Olmert's most generous offer for giving back 97, giving up 97 or so percent of the West Bank and also allowing some people who claim to be refugees to return, a, a shared capital in Jerusalem, everything the Palestinians could possibly want. And there was no response um, from the, the Palestinians. And so uh, even when President Trump, I was involved in this process, um, I was at the White House when the offer was uh, essentially made to the Palestinians, uh, but they rejected it. Again, as Avi even once said, the Palestinians don't know how to take yes for an answer. Um, Golda Meir put it very differently, and uh, she said one day, we can perhaps, perhaps, someday excuse you for killing our children, but we can never excuse you for making us kill your children, and that's what human shields do. That's what happened in Gaza and happens in Gaza all the time. The Palestinians, the, the, the Hamas use the Palestinians as human shields. They put children in the way of their rockets so that the rockets are protected by the babies and the, and the children instead of the opposite way around. The opposite way around is for soldiers and arms to protect children, but with Hamas, it's the children that protect the soldiers by forming human uh, shields. This is as close to being a one-sided issue as I have experienced in, in my life in, in, in human rights. Um, the Palestinian case uh, for statehood is much weaker than the, the Kurdish case for statehood, than the uh, Other, other cases for other groups that have been disenfranchised. Um, but, um, but the world has gathered around the Palestinian cause, not because I think they love the Palestinians, I think because of a lingering negative attitude among many people toward Jews. If Israel were not the nation state of the Jewish people, I don't think Palestinians would have the same kind of support that it gets today from people on the left, from students. Um, these same students who support Hamas's murders um, don't support the Kurds, don't support the Ugars, don't support, they didn't, they weren't involved in Darfur, they weren't involved in Cambodia, they weren't involved in real genocides. Their big issue is Israel, the nation state of the Jewish people. Fortunately, Israel is a strong country. It's not a perfect country, and it's not a country that doesn't have limitations on its strength, as proved by the events of October 7th. Terrible, terrible mistakes. In, in, intelligence blunders, preparation blunders, um, Israel's deterrent impact, Israel's um, uh, reputation has suffered greatly, and maybe it will restore that all in what it will do In, in, in Gaza, 
if it can destroy Hamas, then it'll never be worth the people who have been killed in the process. But nonetheless, Israel will come out at least with some degree of strength and increased deterrence. So that's my history. I'm sure if I was sitting here with a Palestinian intellectual, there would be nuances and there would be differences, but the basic points, you can't disagree with them. Uh, the fact that the Palestinians were offered a state all those times, the fact that the Palestinians started and the Arabs started each of the wars, um, you know, the fact that this most recent um, murderous spree was started by Hamas. You can't dispute that, just as I don't think you can dispute um, uh, issues uh, surrounding blame for uh, various other uh, terrorist attacks or accidents like the hospital in Gaza. So if you disagree, write me a letter and I'll read your letters and I'll argue with you and um, imagine you're the Palestinian intellectual sitting next to me and make the best case you can uh, for the Palestinian cause. All right, let me let me look at some letters. Um, how much time is there left, Elon? Minute and a half. Oh, so there aren't much time for letters. Okay, uh, let me just do one or two. So a couple of letters um, have criticized me for wanting to reveal the names of Harvard students who um, signed petitions saying that the murders of all these innocent people were the fault of Israel. And they call it doxing. I have to tell you, I didn't know what doxing was, but I looked it up. And uh, I'm not sure that doxing should or does include simply revealing the name of a student who belongs to an organization and allowed the organizational name to be used to uh, make a political statement. What, how is it constitute doxing just to say, well, you know, this is an organization, here are its members. Um, some of them voted for it, some of them may not have let them tell you which way they came out. So I, I don't think that um, revealing the names of, of students who openly, publicly uh, supported uh, these obnoxious and immoral uh, petitions blaming everything on Israel should be should be kept secret any any more than students who signed petitions uh, in favor of of Israel. The First Amendment involves also the right to respond and an open marketplace of ideas. And an open marketplace of ideas means transparency, and transparency means naming people. Um, okay, um, just just one more. Uh, this one praised me too much. I don't want to use that one. Um, All right, I think that's enough. Um, we'll we'll have more letters uh, next week. Obviously, this show will cause some people to go back and look at history, and I hope it does. And I hope you can make some points. And I'm happy to correct anything I may have said, which is one-sided or incomplete, or I hardly can say the word, but wrong. I don't think anything I said was wrong. But if there's anything that needs amendment, uh, I'm always happy to listen to constructive criticism. Uh, see you soon. 
This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.